Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where I speak with creative entrepreneurs, artists, and other insanely interesting people to hear their stories learn about their molding moments, tipping points, and spectacular takeoffs. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th Do you want to tell people the big news 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. In this unmistakable classic, we revisit our interview with author of The First 20 Hours, Josh Kaufman, where we discuss the process of accelerated learning and rapid scale acquisition. Josh, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks, Rini. Great to be here. Yeah. So, Josh, uh, I'm going to ask you the the very first question that I usually ask everybody, and that is, can you uh, sort of give us the Reader's Digest version of your background uh, and how that has brought you to doing the work that you do today? Sure. The the very short version of the story is is uh, almost shoot almost ten years ago now. I feel old. Uh, almost ten years ago, I was uh, I was graduating from college and and I happened to have a, a job at a large company, Procter and Gamble, uh, doing marketing type things, which was interesting because my my background was actually in very geeky systems administration. Uh, corporate IT uh, kind of things. So I found myself graduating from college. I had an offer to become a marketer at Procter and Gamble. Uh, and at that time, all of the people that I was going to be working with had just graduated from a top 10 business school. So, so the Harvards and the Whartons and the Stanfords, uh, everybody that I was going to be working with at that time, I believed they had some knowledge and experience about business, about how to, how to, uh, work in a big company, how to make things happen that I believed that I didn't have. But I also had this job and it didn't make sense for me to quit my job and go to school and borrow a bunch of money. I just wanted to learn what I, what I thought they knew. And so what I decided to do is go to the, uh, the Cincinnati Public Library and uh, every Barnes & Noble in the greater Cincinnati area and, uh, and start reading. And, and my goal was very simple. I wanted to learn as much about how businesses function, what they are, how they work, how all the pieces come together, and how you can build one that, that performs very well. I wanted to learn that for myself as quickly and easily and inexpensively as possible. So I started reading. And uh, over the past 10 years, I've, I've read thousands of, of business books. I, I lost count at a, at a certain point. 
And uh, when you read that much, I learned a ton, and I've, I've talked to a lot of very interesting people and have consulted and, and advised with uh, some very, very large companies and, and some of the smallest ventures on, on the face of the earth. And when you work in business for, for a long period of time and you read all of this material about how businesses work, you start to see patterns. So the same ideas, the same principles, the same concepts uh, appear over and over and over again. And uh, at, at a, a certain point, this was about five or six years in, into personalmba.com, which, which was my primary site uh, as a project, I, I just kind of thought to myself, well, wouldn't it be nice to just take all of these very most important ideas about business and put them all in one book? Instead of having to read thousands, you could just pick up a book and, and say, this is what you need to know about business. And uh, that's how the personal MBA, Master the Art of Business, my first book, uh, came to be. And it's, it's been out for two and a half years now mm-hmm. and has, has spread all over the world. I think we're, we're somewhere around 130,000 copies sold worldwide. So just kind of blown away by the response. Awesome. Well, let's do this. Let's take a few steps back um, to the earlier part of your career. And I want to start at the Procter & Gamble piece and working in marketing. And I, I have a question around that and kind of how this ties to, to building a, a brand of your own online. You know, Procter sure. & Gamble really is, is, for all intents and purposes, I think that we sort of look at them as sort of the, the pioneers of marketing products, right? Like they, mm-hmm. everybody looks to them as sort of even business schools use them as a case study often for for products. And what I'm really curious about is sort of the lessons from your experience marketing at Procter & Gamble that you've actually applied to building your online project. And what are the takeaways for, for people listening from that? Yeah. So one of the things that, that marketing at P&G does extremely well is – they focus on teaching you really the fundamentals of, of marketing, which are the same everywhere, right? You understand at a very deep level who you are building something for or who you're talking to. You make sure that whatever it is that you're offering is really filling those primary needs or wants that that, that person has. And you talk about whatever it is that you're offering in a way that immediately resonates with who you're talking to and makes them want to at a minimum, get more information, but ideally uh, explore more or, or, or buy it and try it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a, a lot of, and it, it sounds like marketing 101, and it really is. You know, what, what Procter & Gamble as a company is really good at is doing that consistently and systematically for every single thing that they produce. And so, you know, I, it, I, uh, I had the great privilege when I was, when I was at P&G I spent um, about a year and a half doing product development, so working with research scientists and seeing the types of technology that, that P&G had at its disposal. And then my job was to work with the scientists and talk to consumers and users to figure out what needs are, aren't being met yet and find a way to, to kind of bridge that gap between what, what the company was capable of pulling off and what uh, customers and consumers really, really wanted. And so, you know, doing so it, every once in a while, you'll hear uh, or or see a big profile, uh, like in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, that that talks about these insane lengths that that P and G goes to do consumer research and 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 dig into consumer psychology and and find out more uh, about the people who use their products. Uh, it was really cool for a couple of years. I was that guy, and and so you know, just understanding those very 
deep fundamentals of, of how marketing actually works, how good marketing works, it made it much easier to really sit down and, and in the process of, of building personal MBA, think about, you know, who are we talking to here? Who wants this? Who would need it? Who would find it valuable? Mm-hmm. And then understand uh, how people who are in this particular mindset, like I want to learn more about business, how do I go about doing that? So for example, uh, kind of in, inside baseball here, there's a reason uh, the personal MBA is called the personal MBA instead of learn what you need to know about business, for example, something more general. Mm -hmm. And the reason is when adult learners start thinking about uh, learning how businesses work, for better or worse, the first thing they Google is MBA program. And so the name, the personal MBA, was was both a, a pretty accurate description of, of my personal project, what I was trying to do for myself, but it also happens to hit people right at that psychological point of market entry. When they Google MBA program, they find me, and I'm an alternative to that. Mm-hmm. Well, so a couple of questions around this, right? You know, you, you talked about lessons from a, a behemoth of a company that has a you know billion-dollar marketing budget for practically everything they do. Right. And what we're looking at is people who don't have two pennies to rub together often sure. but are starting interesting online projects. So there's, there's a couple of questions I have around that. One is, is, you know, what are the lessons for us that are applicable there? And then you brought up understanding, you know, the understanding who you serve part, I think that we're starting to get some ideas around that. It's interesting because mm-hmm. I hear a lot of different questions on identifying, you know, sort of this ideal person. And, and Lately, the shift seems to be not understanding them from sort of a, a demographic level, but understanding their values and yes. what they're truly like as a person. And then also, I mean, when you have, say, a small audience or you're just starting out, trying to figure out what they need, I mean, it, it's it's kind of guesswork. I mean, I, I call it the Steve Jobs approach to customer development. So how do you deal with those issues? Because, I mean, there are going to be a lot of people who are either starting at the very beginning of their project or, you know, midway through right. where the data points they have are not going to be aligned with what you're talking about. Yeah, so so let's let's take the the second part first. The, the when you're starting anything, you have precisely zero information about what people want or what people respond to. And so when you're just getting started, a lot of experimentation as quickly as possible. So putting something out there and seeing how people respond, that's the best biggest best thing that you can do when you're starting from nothing, right? right? So I I ran a a very small uh, personal blog at, at jo- my personal site, joshkaufman.net, where I wrote about lots of things uh, for, for a period of, of almost a year. And it wasn't until I put together this idea of the personal MBA and published my, the, the very first draft uh, reading list that, that I ever produced uh, about the best business books that you should look into if you want to learn business on your own. It wasn't until I published that and got such a big response from it. It's like, okay, there's something here. And then, you know, once, once I, that response, once I noticed that response, it became much easier to talk to people who were interested in it and start having conversations about, you know, what's compelling about this? What, what's helpful? What's not? Mm -hmm. Um, And then just doing that experimentation and continuing to refine those things that are working over a long period of time, that's the best thing you can do. Mm -hmm. Um, What's, what's amazing is that, you know, having worked on the inside of a very large marketing company, um, there are things that because of the size and scale, and, and frankly, because of, of the type of game that P&G is playing in, in the, the product development and retail marketing space, there are things that P&G does, like, like um, multi-million dollar TV campaigns just for brand awareness. That's great for P&G mm-hmm. because that's, you know, the... the 
the the secret of that is the advertising doesn't necessarily have to work. The advertising just needs to make sure the buyer at Walmart thinks P&G is supporting it enough to give it display space in their stores. That's the purpose of it. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to, you know, when, when looking at all of these big companies, like, you know, like, like your, uh, your experience at, at, at into it, um, <laughs> big companies do wild things. And if, if you try to emulate those too closely, you end up wasting a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of the ways that P&G markets brands, absolute, complete, and utter waste of time for you and me and everybody else who's probably uh, listening to this right now. Right, right, definitely. We'll, we'll talk about that in a bit more detail. I want to ask, uh, you know, I want to dig into something else you said. You know, you started paying attention to the responses that you were getting from people. And I, I want to analyze that a bit more or kind of dig into, one, how you do that and sort of synthesize mm-hmm. it into something more useful or translate it into something more actionable so that it leads you to your sort of next step or next experiment. Because, you know, one of the things I've always said is that with these experiments, like you said, we don't really know what is going to happen, but I feel like the view changes with every step forward, right? Like you see things that you didn't see before. And the question is, how do you take that information that you get and translate it into an action that will keep moving you further and something useful? Yeah. So a lot of it is, is just first, you know, kind of priming yourself to pay attention about this stuff. Um, I think most of us tend to, to do this a a little bit blindly or haphazardly, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, just deciding that you're going to go out and talk to people and look for things that can help you either run another experiment or test something new um, really helps your brain kind of latch on to uh, the things that can help you. That's, that's actually, it's a, a pretty well-known psychological principle called priming. Mm-hmm. So if you prime your brain to look for specific things, lo and behold, your brain will actually notify you when they appear in your environment. So the, the first thing is just decide that you're, you're going to go out and look for it. You know, the, the second is actively reaching out to people who, are, who may be interested in this particular thing. So, you know, early on uh, in, in the personal MBA, I was having a lot of conversations with people who are interested in, in business education and, and how learning was changing in general. And just having a lot of those conversations really helped uh, me understand what people were looking for and what they valued. And, you know, there, there were a lot of, of early directions that, that the personal MBA could have taken. And, you know, so, so for example, do I spend a lot of time uh, talking to recruiters at large companies trying to get the idea of, of, of personal MBA uh, pushed through as, as, as a legitimate way of understanding business in, in a way to create value? No, absolute, complete, and utter waste of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, based, based on my early conversations. But some of the other things, so, so for example, uh, putting together a, a very, uh, a, a both basic but comprehensive primer about how businesses work, entrepreneurs uh, and, and, and folks who are in the process of having an idea and, and evaluating it as a business, loved it, absolutely loved it. And so if I'm going to spend a couple of years building something, I, I would personally much rather uh, have that time be spent building something people will ac- actually want and will find valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Um, well, we'll actually talk about sort of the, the framework around that in, in just a second. I want to go back to something else sure. um, that you brought up when we were talking about sort of the marketing one-on-one piece. You know, we said, you know, finally what you do is you tie all of this together and, and you know, create things in a way that resonates uh, or connects with the people that you want to serve. 
And, you know, I mean, you started the personal MBA a long time ago. I remember it was probably one of the very first blogs that I came across. And now, you know, the world is getting noisier. Everybody has a microphone. Sure. And the way we connect with people, I think, comes is becoming more and more about a message that only you could deliver that nobody else can really compete with. And, you know, and the problem is that far too often what I've been seeing is that we tend to mimic rather than model. Yes. And the result, of course, is this giant echo chamber and the internet is littered with Tim Ferriss copycats um, and people <laughs> who see that an idea worked, you know, for example, sure. this is something that's going to come up in a recent speech of mine. Somebody says, you know, hey, shit, my dad says got a TV show. Next thing you know, there's 40 other Twitter accounts like shit, my cat says, shit, my mom says, and shit, my dog says. Right. And the result, of course, is this just giant, you know, co like this endless stream of copycats. So what I'm curious about is in a world where everybody has a microphone, you know, how do you take whatever it is that you can deliver and deliver it in a way that resonates with other people. Yeah, well, it's, you know, in, in such a busy world, it's, it's not enough to be just better anymore. You, you have to be different in, in some way, shape, or form. And, and a lot of that is, you know, it's kind of a way to, 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 uh, to kill two birds with one stone, to, to abuse that uh, expression. If, um, tune it out. Tune out what other people are doing. Uh -huh. So, so for example, I'm, I'm I'm glad you uh, you you brought up Tim because the first 20 hours, uh, my new book about rapid learning <laughs> and skill acquisition, is the same uh, same topic right. that that Tim talks about in in Four Hour Chef. And so, one of the things that I did very deliberately is I I uh, until the manuscript was complete, I decided not to read Four Hour Body. Mm -hmm. I decided not to read Four Hour Chef because. This was something that I was researching, and I wanted to put together something, uh, a, a framework that came from my research and a framework that came from my experience. And, you know, now, it's, now that the book is done, it's fascinating to go back and, and read some of Tim's stuff and see, all the, uh, see the things that are similar, and, and there's quite a bit of similarity, uh, and see all of the things that, that are different. Mm -hmm. where the approach is different, where the method is different. And so, you know, the best thing that you can do for yourself if you want to create something uh, that is different and, and, and that will stand out is tune out. You know, in, in the business world, there's, there's a lot of emphasis placed on tracking your competition. Mm -hmm. Don't. You don't need to. Yeah. Um, tune it out. Decide on your method or your approach. And if you're not copycatting everybody else, you will be different by the time this thing is done. You just need to make sure that when it's done, uh, it is, you've, you have exposed it to enough people who can benefit from it that you know how to talk about it in a, in a way that resonates. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. You know, and, and I'll share two examples. I'll, I'll refer back to something that um, Robert Greene said when I had him here uh, to talk about mastery. And it was really interesting. You know, he said, yeah, he's like, I love Malcolm Gladwell's books. I love his New Yorker essays. But he said, I didn't want to read the tipping or outliers because yep. it was a similar type of book. And I wanted this story to be told in my own voice. And, you know, it's funny, even uh, when I had Tim Ferriss here, somebody commented on my Facebook wall. I was like, hey, you know, you should listen to the other Tim Ferriss interviews. And I said, well, that's precisely why I don't want to listen to them. Because, right. And I, you know, this, I don't think this, at this point, I've openly admitted this. Somebody have asked me a handful of times that said, you know, what podcast do you listen to, Srini? I said, uh, this is going to sound really stupid, but I don't listen to other people podcasts right uh, yeah and i don't and you know it, it's not because i don't respect them like if anybody is is doing work i'll definitely support it but i mean a big part of, i especially don't listen to other people's interviews partially because i don't want my style of, of how to do it to be influenced like let's say josh you had been interviewed somewhere i definitely would not have listened to it until after you and i had spoken right right 
And there's a lot of benefit to just doing things in the way that makes sense for you. Mm-hmm. And it's going to stand out. You know, the, the other thing that, that works really well is not being afraid to take a very strong stand on, on something. Uh, so, so the personal MBA makes a very strong stand about business school, right? Uh-huh. You don't need it. Yes. Um, in, unless you are in a extremely small percentage of a percentage of a percentage who is only going to be happy working at a large investment bank, right? Yep. If you're in that other 99.9999% of the population, you don't need it. But you do need to understand how businesses work. So here's a way of getting that end result. Okay, so let's actually talk about this strong stand idea in a bit sure. more detail, because um, I, I have I've, I've started you know started noticing a pattern very late recently uh, in that I, there's certain writers that I'm very very drawn to, and why I'm drawn to them, and I, why I feel that most people are drawn to them is because they have a level of honesty, imperfection, and not to use an overly used word or, you know word vulnerability in everything they do. And the the sure. example that I always come back to is James Altucher. Because you read anything mm-hmm. James writes, and you're kind of like, "Holy crap! I can't believe you said that." Right. Uh, but at the same time, like, I, I mean, even Julian Smith told me he said, "You know, that everybody that I know who is successful is very, very opinionated." And I think that it, we're in this very interesting place in the online world where people don't want to piss other people off, and right. they, they're, and I think that that f- keeps people afraid from being opinionated or, or having bold opinions. But I've noticed the bolder I've got, like, you know, with my writing, the more the people who like me like me. And the ones, I mean, I've seen my newsletter for my School of Life blog as my writing style has evolved and my voice has changed, drop off in droves. But I'm realizing I'm also getting rid of the people who probably don't belong there. Totally. You know, if you are trying to please every single person on the face of the earth, you're going to drive yourself crazy and you're going to get worse results. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is way better to decide what you believe or what you're doing. And make it really insanely awesome for a certain type of person or a, a person with certain values or certain characteristics or certain goals. Mm-hmm. And just focus on serving those people and, and let everybody else go, go watch something else or, or do something else. Uh, so, so, for example, in, interesting um, experience yesterday. Uh, the first 20 hours was, was just featured on, on Lifehacker. Super awesome. Um, there are some comments in there. That, that are, are, are not good about the method uh, that, that we talk about in the first 20 hours. But instead of spending a lot of time feeling bad about that, there's a simple explanation. This is not a good fit for them mm-hmm. at, their, at their point in life based on their values and, and what they think is important. That's okay. It doesn't need to be. It just needs to be a super awesome method for a particular type of person who's in a position to benefit of it. Mm-hmm. And as long as there are enough people in that position then everybody wins. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think to me, it kind of goes to this idea of, I don't know anybody necessarily, I, I've, I've always said, I don't have any advice, just observations at right. this point. And I don't think anybody has advice. I think what everybody is giving us is observations. Uh, and I love what my friend Laura Garnett said, and I've, I've mentioned this on the show before. She said, you know, go to people for support, not advice, because advice is based on their worldview. Totally. Yeah, so, so information, perspective, uh, questions, ways to think about something. You know, I, the, the, the books and the resources and the blogs and, and the courses, all of the things that I've, I've personally gotten the most value out of haven't been a do, how to do this particular thing in this particular way to get this particular result. It's all been here's how to think about some really important area of life, right? Mm-hmm. Here's how to think about writing. Here's how to think about speaking. Here's some questions to ask yourself when you get stuck. It's all of those resources 
that when you're in a position to use it, you can think about and use in a way that gets you a better result based on when you need it. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, it really comes down to basically saying, you know what, use a compass instead of a map. Totally. Hey, everybody, it's Srini. I want to take a quick break to tell you about a new initiative that we've launched called the Unmistakable Salon, our monthly live event series in which you'll be able to interact with one of our former podcast guests and ask them your questions. The very first one is right here in our own backyard, Los Angeles, with our very good friend and creative instigator, Justine Musk, where we're going to talk all about creativity. You can get tickets at unmistakablesalon.com. And don't worry, I know you don't all live in L.A. If you want us to bring the salon to your city, Send me an email at srini at unmistakablemedia.com. And now, back to the show. Talk about it from an MBA standpoint. I want to dissect the idea of self, you know, designing a curriculum for yourself. You know, Dale Stevens and I had this conversation, and, you know, you being somebody who has essentially replaced, you know, you've more or less done what Dale has done, but as an adult, in in an adult context, while he did it in high school and, you know, decided not to go to college. So... What I'm curious about is, and, and I think this will actually make a really interesting transition to talk about the first 20 hours, is designing our learning curriculum for what we want to learn and, and how we do it and, and how we do it in a way that's effective in a world where there's just we're inundated with information. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there are a couple of things that, you know, in, in the personal MBA, one of the organizing principles behind the book uh, is, is what I call a mental model. It's, it's, it's an idea about how businesses work or, or about how some important area of life works in general, right? And so if you understand the fundamental idea behind something like marketing a product, behind uh, going out and selling that product, behind analyzing finances or creating something new or trying to be as productive as you possibly can during the day, what you'll find is there are a very small number of, of general principles or general techniques that you see over and over again, that, that, that you, you can use most often, that apply to every situation. And if you know those fundamentals, fundamental ideas, it's much, much easier to look at your situation and, and come up with ways to improve that thing. So one of the things which, which was actually uh, perceived uh, by, by my publisher as a very risky thing for Personal MBA, Personal MBA is not a narrative book uh, by, by any means. It's, it's very much a a reference type of work that's designed, you can read it through uh, from start to finish. Uh, so it makes sense if you read it through, but, it, but it's also designed to be a reference. But the whole organization of, of the project and the book is, here are the most important parts of how a business works. Here are the most important parts of working with, uh, with yourself and, and other people. And here are the most important parts behind systems in general, because businesses are just systems uh, designed to, to create a particular result. And so, you know, deconstructing each of those things into very small ideas uh, that are easy to understand, but you can also use those ideas in combination to look at a situation and say, okay, I should, I should probably do this, or this is most important, or here's a technique that would help me here. Understanding how to deconstruct something very complex into smaller and smaller elements uh, gives you a great deal of flexibility. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for example, if you have a new business idea and you're not quite sure whether or not it'll work, having some basic ideas of, of how to break the business down into understandable parts and how to ask yourself questions about things that are going to be super fundamental to the business, going through that checklist of questions can provide a lot of insight about how the idea will work and it'll help you evaluate that idea 
without spending a lot of time and spending a lot of money building something nobody wants. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, part of how I try to organize my work in general is looking at a universal area of human existence that everybody can benefit from knowing and then deconstruct, helping the reader deconstruct that into smaller and smaller parts so they can really understand what's going on and then focus on the parts that are going to give them the best result for the least amount of time, energy, and effort. Mm-hmm. Love it. Okay, so that's that's uh, that's really really awesome. So let's do this. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, I want to, and I think this will make a perfect transition to the book. But I want to talk a little bit about the growth of personal MBA, taking it from sort of where it was at to being this massive thing. I mean, you don't sell 130,000 books uh, by by luck. I think you and I both know that. And so I want to talk about the growth and product development pieces, because I know you mentioned product development as as something that you had had experience with, because, you know, I think we we are all to some degree developing information products. And so I'd love for you to talk about kind of where you sort of saw the hot buttons and and how you translated that into sort of the product development process. And then then we can start talking about the next book. Yeah. So so Personal MBA has gone through many, many evolutions uh, since, since it first created. Actually, believe it or not, personalmba.com uh, started, started its life as a forum. It wasn't a website. It wasn't a blog. It was a, a forum that I put up saying, hey, I'm doing this crazy project. Here's, here are the results of my research as it's ongoing. What do you think? And so that was really, you know, as, as, uh, as much as I would not recommend running a forum <laughs> in quite that way, it was a really fantastic learning experience because as I was doing things, it was built around a discussion, right? Other people would jump in and give me feedback, and that just helped every later iteration of the personal MBA become better and better and better. Uh, so at a certain point, I was really hoping that initially, or, or my expectation was, this is something that I'm doing, but uh, I'm expecting a lot of people to, to, to take and run this uh, as well. And, and what I found very early is this was something that I cared about deeply, and nobody was going to care about it more than I did. So people were interested. People were using it. Whenever I did research, the, they, were, they were taking it and, and giving me good feedback. But if I wanted to drive the project forward, I needed to step up and really take it seriously and really build something. And so I, this, would, this would have been about a year and a half, two years into the project, I transitioned uh, into Personal MBA as, as a website, as a blog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, still kept that, that dialogue with the people who were using it. But this was, you know, this is something that I am actively building, and I'm going to make this the, the, the best possible resource for learning business uh, on your own that, that exists on the Internet. And, and so, you know, the primary method in, in continuing to develop was the reading list. Mm-hmm. So even, even still, uh, somewhere between 60 and 70% of, of new visitors to the personal MBA find the reading list first. And it's this, this you know, this is now the seventh, eighth iteration of, of or revision of the reading list. Mm-hmm. And, and it's still this evergreen, valuable resource that somebody could have no experience, have no knowledge of who I am or what I do, have no previous experience with personal MBA, and they could land on that page and get a lot of value immediately. And so continuing to develop that into the best possible resource uh, became a really, really big priority. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I wish I would have done, and I didn't start doing until really late, and I'm picking <laughs> I know myself what you're for say. it. I already know what you're going to say. What are, yeah, what am I going to say? You can anticipate this. Email list. Email list. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If I had an email list when this thing started, holy cow. Yeah. 
Um, so yes, anybody who is, uh, who is listening to this, if you have a website and you're not collecting email addresses, drop everything and go to MailChimp or go to Aweber or go to Campaign Monitor and get you an email list because it is, it is a big deal. Uh, so yeah, once once the email list uh, started, or once I put it, finally sat down and, and put an email list in place, the whole thing just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it was the email list that allowed me to go to uh, Penguin Portfolio and talk about doing this as a book. Right. Um, it was the you know the the growth in that email list you know is is what allows me when it, when a new book comes out, I can let everybody know about it right away. Um, it is by far the most effective marketing channel for pretty much anything. And if you don't have one, you're really missing out. Yeah, I, I, there's no, no question in my mind about that now. And, you know, I mean, our, our newsletter is, is probably my biggest priority between the, that and the podcast, you know, and, and for those of you guys who haven't signed up, like I said, if you go to fameandfortuneguide.com, you get our free guide on how to repackage and repurpose content. Um, and that's completely free. And all you have to do is sign up for an email list. But the thing, I think, you know, one of the things that I, I want to caution those of you guys who are listening against is viewing your email list as purely a transactional relationship because right. it's not. And that's, I think you have to deliver a lot of value. I noticed the other day we had, you know, I, I promoted an affiliate sale and I thought, wait a minute, I was like, no, but like two people unsubscribed. And I was very, very surprised by that. And I realized, I think it was because for, for, you know, for a long time, the email list has been all about value and, and that's not going to change. Like I've made right. it something that I, I want people to like, people actually look forward to receiving an email, which is awesome in a world where yeah. people are annoyed as hell by all the email they get. Yeah. I, I think it's really easy to overestimate kind of being naturally a, a geekier, techier kind of crowd, mm-hmm. um, you are not your customer. And your customer really, in, in, by, by a long shot, people love receiving email. They really do. And, you know, I, I, I definitely, um, definitely thought this when I first started my, my email list. Like, I don't want to email people too much. Mm-hmm. But really, every time you send, there are people who are looking forward to that. And the whole reason they signed up in the first place is because they found what you're doing cool mm-hmm. and they want to keep learning from you. They want to keep talking with you. They want to keep taking advantage of all this cool stuff that you're doing. And so the more email that you send them, uh, the better off everybody is. Your, your readers are benefiting and you're benefiting too. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. 
They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, and you know, I, I think I, I remember what, you know, my friend AJ Leon said, which I really loved. He said, you know, he's like, this is, you don't even view it as a list. You view it as a community. I, I think that you have to remember always that behind that email address is a person. And totally. That, that just viewing it that way, I think, changes your ability to write newsletters. Like, I don't even, you know, I, I try not to think, okay, this is a list. I try to think about the people. Yes. So. Yeah, and it's, you know, it, it's, it's the most effective way beyond anything. You know, so for example, if you're a blogger, uh, people will sign up for your email list just to be notified when you have something cool and new up to give them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and you get the benefit of keeping in touch with all of your subscribers. You can contact them whenever, whenever you want, they can give you direct feedback. So I don't know about you, but I, I read every single reply oh, yeah. uh, that somebody sends to my email list. It's, they can get a hold of me extremely quickly. And, and that, that back and forth can uh, give you new ideas. It can alert you to to problems or or something that isn't going right. Uh, it can give you a way of of launching a new product in a way that doesn't cost anything beyond your time and energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an amazing tool, and uh, way too many business owners or prospective entrepreneurs don't place the appropriate level of importance on that. Yeah. I I think we could beat this point like a dead horse. Yes. Um, You know, I, 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 you know, I I will say, you know, you mentioned even the ability to go to, to penguin. I I think it was uh, Tim Grawl who works with Dan Pink. He said that the, in terms of book sales, email outperformed social 10 to one. Absolutely. Which Absolutely. was no surprise to me, but uh, yes. something to think about it. I don't think that just applies to launching a book. I think it applies to pretty much everything. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm a big fan of Tim. Actually, uh, believe it or not, Tim was one of my very first clients <laughs> when I uh, started doing advising for Personal MBA. He's an amazing person. Awesome. Well, let's do this. Uh, let's shift gears and let's talk about the new book. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things, you know, obviously it, it caught my attention immediately when I saw it. Somebody, I think it was one of our listeners who actually mentioned it to me and said, Hey, Srini, have you had Josh yet? And naturally I, I thought this book was just a perfect fit in terms of the things that are going on in the world today. Uh, in, in the fact that we have so many resources in which to have sort of self-directed learning. And yet I don't think everybody's trying to become, you know, a master at everything they do. And like you right. talk about in the book, like we would like a certain level of competence. Like, you know, if I wanted to speak Spanish, I'd like to be able to hit on girls in, in you know, a foreign country and sound relatively intelligent or witty, right? Good priorities. But, yeah, exactly. We can see what my priorities <laughs> are here. I'm, I'm joking, but you know, you know what I mean. I'm saying. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, that, I think that, that's an. Uh, that, I think that's an appropriate goal. That's great. Yeah. So I mean, the, and, you know, I'm not necessarily looking to go and. Uh, basically have political negotiations with a dictator in a foreign country where Spanish right. is the main language. Right. That would require a whole other level of, of skill. Um, but first, what I want to talk about is sort of what the seeds were for this book. Like, what was the genesis of it? Yeah, so so part of it is, uh, I would say that there was a confluence of factors all coming together at, at a point. So I have always been temperamentally a guy, I'm just fascinated by thousands and thousands of things. And, and so one of my favorite things in the world is to be curious about something, jump in and learn a lot and, and come away from that process, knowing how to do something really cool. And, and that, that is pretty much universal. So, so learning how to, to do something, some cool new skill or tool for the business, some, uh, fun new skill as a, a, a hobby. Um, so everything from playing music to programming to, uh, to, to windsurfing, like, my the number of interests I have that I would like to explore in my life is is gigantic, and so before so for the past couple of years, I've had enough free time to to kind of do that in a dabbling sort of way, right? Just get curious about something, read a couple books, uh, try it out, spend some free time figuring it out, and, and come away with with something neat. the uh, The interesting event that happened about two and a half years ago. Uh, was uh, my wife Kelsey and I welcomed our daughter uh, Leela into the world, mm-hmm. and and all of a sudden this this seems to be a a universal experience uh, with new parents. You, you kind of reach this point like about I don't know six to eight weeks in, where the sleep deprivation like really really hits hits home, and you're just running on fumes at that point. And I remember having having this almost existential crisis of, oh my gosh. I, I am never going to have free time ever again. Mm-hmm. And if I'm never going to have free time, that means I'm never going to be able to learn something new ever again. And it was like this, this really like, oh my gosh, I, it, this, it, I, I'm never going to have free time again. This sucks. And, and, and my daughter is amazing. And I would, I would love nothing more. Uh, I, I am, I would say, uh, very ambitious. I want it all. So I want my business to be successful. I want to uh, have a wonderful relationship with my family and, and spend lots of time with my kids. I want to, to learn all sorts of really cool hobbies, and I want to do that while getting a, a semi-normal amount of sleep. And so, you know, this, this super time crunch, it's like, okay, I, if, if I want to keep learning and growing, I need to figure out a way to make this more efficient because I don't have the time to dabble anymore. 
And so that really prompted my interest in this, this whole idea of, of accelerated learning and, and rapid skill acquisition. If you only have, for example, less than an hour a day, maximum, mm-hmm. uh, to sit down and learn something new in, in a way that's going to allow you to become really good in a very short period of time, how do you go about doing that? And so uh, I, I decided to, to really dig in because this, this is one of those areas like picking up new skills is a fundamental aspect of the human experience. It, it define, The skills that you have define how good you are at your career, how much fun you're going to have in your, in, in your free time. Uh, if you decide to start a business, how successful you're going to be and how quickly you're going to find that success. You know, learning new skills is super, super important. And so I decided, it's like, okay, this is a complex, fundamental area of human existence. I have a really deep need to know this right now, so I'm going to get serious about putting together a method to do it. And that led to uh, the method that I, that I talk about in the first 20 hours. Awesome. Well, let's do this. Um, let's, can you give us sort of a high-level overview of the method just so people – because, I, I mean, I know it's a 200-plus it's you know, page book, so there's sure. no way we can go through the entire method here. But sort of a high-level overview um, so people who are listening can figure out, you know, decide that this is something that they want to buy or you know, they, they would you know, find useful. Yeah. No, it's actually reasonably straightforward. So, so the first is uh, – Super common sense, right? Decide what it is that you are interested in learning about. Mm-hmm. And, and not just a, a, a topic, but getting very, very specific about how good you want to be. Mm-hmm. And, and in the book, I call this a target performance level, right? What do you want to learn and what do you want to be able to do when you're done? Like hitting right? on girls in bars in Spanish. Exactly, right? If, <laughs> if that's the point, yes, I, I, would, I would love to, be, uh, to go up to an attractive person in a social situation and have a good conversation that results in a great outcome, right? That's a target performance level. Sure. And, and so you notice that is way more specific than something like, I want to speak Spanish fluently, mm-hmm. right? Super broad. And that doesn't give you a lot of information about how to get started. Whereas that specific target performance level actually gives you a checklist of things that you probably need to know. It it helps you figure out what you need to learn first and and the types of things that are going to provide the most value with the least effort, right? So So you define your target performance level, get very specific, and then you do just a little bit of research. So one of the things that I struggle with, I'm a researcher guy by nature. I, I want to read all the books about every topic ever. But that just, beyond a certain point, that becomes another form of procrastination. You're just reading and researching. You're not actually sitting down to practice the skill in a way that makes you better. So you want to go and find three, four, five books, tutorials, courses, blogs, websites, whatever, that talk about the fundamental uh, parts of, of that particular skill. And, and the goal in picking up these resources is not to read all the books cover to cover. It's not to take all of the courses. You're doing a very brief overview. And the reason you do that is because if you see a method or a concept or a technique come up over and over and over again in three to five really good resources about the topic, chances are it's really fundamentally important. It's probably one of the things you need to practice first, mm-hmm. right? So you do a little bit of research, and then the point of doing that research is to help you deconstruct what may be a very complex skill into smaller, more specific sub-skills that you can then practice. So for example, uh, you know, classic example here is golf, right? Golf is not one skill. You have to be able to do 100 different things well in order to say I'm a good golfer. 
So just so instead of saying I want to get good at golf, break it down. What does that mean? You need to be able to uh, to drive off the tee. You need to be able to putt on the green. You need to be able to get out of a bunker. You need to be able to select a club. There's there's lots of things that that are all sub skills that are packed in that one global skill, right? So by deconstructing the skill into smaller parts and comparing those against what you're seeing in terms of research, you can identify the most valuable, most important subskills that you should practice first. Mm-hmm. Once you've done that, we get into the realm of behavioral psychology. So how do you get yourselves, get yourself to the point where you've identified the appropriate subskills and you're sitting down to practice in a way that, that, that makes you more effective? And the key here is, is uh, putting together what's, what's called a pre-commitment. And, and the very basic pre-commitment looks like this. Are you willing to spend 20, at least 20 hours over the course of the next month learning this thing? That equates to about 40 minutes a day, mm-hmm. give or take. If you're willing to rearrange your schedule, if you're really willing to buy the tools, if you're willing to uh, reconstruct or, or alter your environment to make it easier to practice, and you're willing to pre-commit to putting at least 20 hours into that thing, that's a really good sign that you're serious enough about this in order to make it work. Mm-hmm. And the rule is, once you, st- once you start practicing, you can't stop until you reach your target performance threshold or you hit at least 20 hours of practice. And if you're not willing to make that pre-commitment, it's a really good sign that this is not important enough for you to learn right now. So just go learn something else. It saves you a lot of time. But what you'll find is psychologically, there seems to be something about 20 hours that, that serves two purposes. First, it doesn't feel like so large a commitment that it, that it, it becomes a barrier to getting started, mm-hmm. right? It's only 40 minutes a day, right? It's only 20 hours. Uh, if you don't like it or you're not good at it at the end of 20 hours, you just go do something else. It's not a big commitment up front. But it is long enough that when you sit down and, and do 20 hours of focused, deliberate practice on anything, you will be, you'll be absolutely astounded at how good you are at the end of those 20 hours, going from knowing absolutely nothing to performing reasonably well. That's really all it takes. Awesome. Well, you know, it's, it's so funny. Uh, as I'm listening to you describe that, it's almost my entire experience of learning how to surf. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, you know, I've told anybody, I mean, I suffered from absolute athletic ineptitude and <laughs> to be able to surf was something I never thought in a million years. But the, the other part that really interests me is, you know, I have tried to teach friends how to surf and the challenge is it becomes the knowledge is so tacit after a certain point right. that it's very difficult to deconstruct. But you actually have given me a lot of interesting ideas. I think, you know, you can, if it's, what's funny is you've given us two frameworks, even though we've looked at it from a learning perspective, if you flip it on its head, it also becomes a teaching framework. Absolutely. And, I, you know, that's, you know, for those of you guys who are creating courses or anything along those lines, that's incredibly useful. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. One of the the things that, that I wanted to do for this book, because it's easy to, to go do research and, and put together a theoretical method that you think probably will work, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's just research time. Um, I, am re- I, I am not comfortable teaching something unless I know with absolute certainty that it works. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I wanted to do in the first 20 hours is, yeah, put together the method, put together the framework, but I wanted to go out and test it on a bunch of different things to make sure that it works, and, and so, so it works on professional things, it works on hobbies, it works on cognitive skills, and it works on 
physical skills, motor skills. And so, you know, one of the things that I decided to learn for the book, uh, like you, I, I, I consider myself uh, not the most coordinated person in the world and, and not super athletic, uh, but I wanted to learn how to windsurf, uh, which I'd never done before. And uh, the first, I tell the story in the book, the first time I went out on the water, got the whole rig, rig in, it's like get a piece of cake, you know, not a big deal. It was, it was one of the most painful experiences uh, in, in my entire life. And so, you know, there's, there's a value of jumping in and getting to the point where you're getting actual physical experience as quickly as possible, because that taught me a lot about what was really important. And then, you know, you can take some of, of, of that experience and then go back to the research and say, oh, that is why, you know, talking about a dagger board is really important. I forgot to put mine down. That's kind of important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, practice in a slightly different way. So, so one of the ways that I was able to, to accelerate the process of, of learning how to windsurf was just going out and taking the sail off the board and just spending some time getting a feel for what it feels like to balance on the board in the water. How far can you lean in any direction? And, and just kind of breaking it down and, and, and having some, some, some more experience just isolating one particular part of the skill. When I put the sail back on the board, it was way easier to, to actually stay on the board and, and, and not drink mouthfuls of lake water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, it, you, the, the whole idea is deconstruct it, and get to the point where you're actually, you know, how quickly can you start making mistakes, right? How quickly can you start actually practicing this thing? The faster you can get to that point, the more experience you get. You know, it's funny. It sounds, uh, you know, when people go snowboarding, almost the exact same process I've seen, you know, it's like people tell you go for three days in a row. And that's why I always tell friends of mine, it's like, you want to come out and surf and you come once in three months, you're never going to learn how to surf. It's yeah. very simple. But if you come five days in a row, you'll, you'll figure it out in no time. Yeah, it'll and, it'll just brute force. Amazingly enough, you know, if somebody with my athletic skill could do it, you could. Yeah, and and the biggest risk here, and and this is the trap that I think most people find themselves in, is the first hours of learning anything just are brutal. They uh-huh. suck. They're frustrating. Yep. You're never going to be good at it, right? And and that's that's a universal human thing too, right? First time Tiger Woods picked up a golf club at the age of three, he sucked too. Um, so. Part of the process in deciding to, to be serious about learning something new is having a strategy to overcome that, that universal experience of the first hours are just horrible. If you can persist, you know, what, what most people do is, is they decide to try something. Like, I'm going to go try to surf. Mm-hmm. And they go out, and they're horrible, right, like everybody is. And then they just mentally label to themselves, oh, that's really hard, or I'm not good at that, or I'm not coordinated. Um, they, they explain that, you know, this is not something that I'm capable of learning. It's hard, and so I'm not going to persist. And because they don't put in that initial time, because the first hours are frustrating, they don't end up learning the skill. What you find is if you, put, if you are serious about the pre-commitment, if you decide to yourself that I am going to invest 20 hours in this skill, no matter what, if it sucks, it's going to suck for 20 hours, and I'm going to decide after that point, what you'll find, even for the hardest things, somewhere between hours two, three, and four, mm-hmm. a switch flips. And all of a sudden, you're not as bad as you remember being, right? It's not nearly as frustrating. It's like, oh, I'm seeing some improvement here. This is cool. 
And if you keep going, you, you will become very, very skilled in a very short period of time. You know, it's funny you say that. There's, you know, I remember I met a guy at a bar when I lived in San Diego working for Intuit, and that was when I first started dabbling with, with surfing. And he said, go 50 times because you'll be too invested to quit. Right. And I, I thought that was a really interesting observation, and I found that to be true. You know, I think it was about the 15th time I went out, I was finding that I could actually pop up on my own without anybody pushing me or, or yep. started learning how to read waves. Of course, you know, from there, at that point, I didn't want to quit. I was hooked, you know, because right. then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, I actually kind of know how to do this. And I, I think, and one, so one thing I'll mention um, that I, you know, you, hadn't, you didn't talk about, but uh, in Sean Acor's book, The Happiness Advantage, he talks about mm-hmm. this concept called activation energy, which is similar to the whole idea of a pre-commitment. I think sure. activation energy makes your, your pre-commitment a lot easier. Um, and I'll, I'll give this, you know, in terms in, in the uh, <clears throat> context of a very tactical example. You know, a lot of you are writers and content creators, and I wrote a post uh, about how to write a thousand words a day. And uh, this is on Search Engine Journal, if, you know, and I'll link it for those of you guys listening, but. What uh, I I found is that if I set up the journaling software the night before, uh, and it's the first thing I see when I wake up in the morning, like no Facebook, no Twitter, nothing else, but just the journaling software, writing a thousand words is easy. And it's a very small step, but it's kind of like if you wanted to learn the guitar. If you, he actually talked about this. He said when he kept the guitar in his closet, he couldn't get himself to practice. But when he put it right in front of him, it was like this constant reminder that he had to do it. Yeah, totally. There, there are actually a, a couple of uh, fascinating ideas in there. And, and actually, these are uh, two ideas that, that I talk about uh, in the personal MBA. So the two ideas are, are structural determination mm-hmm. and, and friction. So structural determination is, is the idea that the most or the biggest influence on your behavior each and every day is the environment that surrounds you, right? What is easy or not easy to do in your environment plays the single largest role in determining what it is that you are actually going to do. And so, you know, one of the things that we try to do in this process of learning how to new thing, do new things or change behaviors in general is we, we, we tend to, to rely a lot on our willpower to make it happen, right? I'm just going to decide to do it, and I'm going to force myself to do it. Yeah. Your willpower runs out super quick, it really does. It's not a, not a sustainable strategy. It's way more effective to spend just a little bit of willpower altering the structure of your environment to support the behavior, which is exactly what, what putting the guitar out in an easy place where you're seeing it every day does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the other thing is, is the whole idea of, of friction. So like in physics, you know, friction is something that robs energy from a system. The more effort that it takes to get started doing something, the less likely you are to do it, right? And, and you know, tons and tons of applications uh, of this in, in, in business, right? You know, classic example is, is one-click purchasing on Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. They remove the amount of effort it took to buy something, and as a result, sales go up dramatically, right? You can do the same thing for yourself, and you can either do that by making something easier, making something take less steps, or removing things that get in the way of, of you getting started. So, you know, there's lots of ways to apply both of those principles to skill acquisition in general. Make sure you have the tools at, at your disposal. Make sure you're, they are in plain sight and easy to see. Uh, make sure that it doesn't take you very much time to get started or jump in. Mm-hmm. All of those things can make it much, much easier to, after you've made the pre-commitment to practice, make it much, much easier for you to actually follow through on that. Awesome. 
Well, uh, Josh, I, so I want to ask you one other question around the book, and then we'll wrap things up. Uh, I sure. want to ask you about the marketing plan for the book. You, know, you brought up the email list earlier, but I think you and I both know that publishers don't do anything to market your book, that it's all on you, uh, with rare exception from what I've heard. Yeah. Uh, so what I'm curious about is, is what's gone into the marketing plan for this. Yeah, so so there's there's an, a number of things. Actually, I would say that, that uh, large publishers in general are good at a very specific type of marketing which is is having their sales force go into large booksellers mm-hmm. and have them stock it, which is a form of marketing in itself, and have them display it. Uh, so, so, you know, part of the market marketing, uh, as far as Penguin is concerned, is, is making sure that this book appears on the front table of Barnes & Noble uh, right after it comes out. And, and they're doing a really good job of that. Um, there is a, a, a combination, uh, at least on, on, on my side, uh, what I found with, with a lot of experimentation is, you know what, what moves the most books, believe it or not? Uh, Bl- go ahead. Blogs and podcasts. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Always. <laughs> always. Uh, and, and, you know, have a nice, nice uh, A-B comparison. So uh, on, on two consecutive days uh, back when, when the personal MBA paperback came out, I had a uh, a feature on a on a podcast and a uh, mention on the front page of the style section of the New York Times. And you know which one sold more books? Podcast. The podcast by yeah. far. And so, you know, what what I'm trying to do is make sure, you know, this this is a really useful, interesting framework that can help a lot of people. And so, my goal in all of this is to make sure that people who are in a position to benefit from learning new things, which, which in my opinion is pretty much everybody, they know that this framework exists, they know that the book is the best place to get that, and, and it's presented in a way that, that uh, encourages them to, to go out and check it out. And so I'm spending a lot of time talking to, to super cool people and having conversations like this. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the things that, that I'm doing on, on my end are both trying to continue to reward people who, uh, who read the first 20 hours by giving lots of, of bonuses um, and, and extras and cool things. Because, you know, to me, a, a book is not something, if you're going to do it right, a book is not something that you, you promote for a week and then it drops off the face of the earth and, and, and goes out of print and nobody ever sees it again. And so, you know, my marketing plan for this book is I'm thinking like three, four, five years out from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I'm doing is actually, if, if you, uh, if you pre-order or order a copy of the book and you send a receipt to extras at first 20 hours.com, that's first two zero hours, hours.com. Um, I'm going to be continue, re- going to continue researching and producing things for the readers in this book. And, and so, you know, by doing that, you get access to, to all of this stuff as I continue to build it, which is cool. The other thing is, and I'm, I'm super excited about this, uh, because, you know, the, the online marketing stuff is, is what the large traditional publishers aren't super good at. Um, but I have uh, quite a bit of experience doing, you know, back in my PNG days and, and then uh, experimenting on my own. So a lot of the, the cool new um, marketing channels, uh, I, I, I'll... Uh, so for the business folks uh, who are listening to this, the two things that I'm looking at most seriously right now is uh, StumbleUpon. It, there is a way to target people who are interested in specific topics. So I'm going to be doing uh, a lot of experimentation there. And then uh, email newsletter marketing through, through a company called LaunchBit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and I have the back end. You know, the, the nice part, one of the things I learned uh, in, in the writing of the book, uh, one of the skills that I field tested, was programming. So the, uh, when you send an email to extras at first20hours.com and you receive an email to me that grants you access to the system, I wrote that myself, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, being able to experiment and track and all this stuff, you know, the reality is I don't know what's going to work. Right. I'm going to try a bunch of things and gather data and we'll keep doing what, what, what works and stop doing what doesn't. Well, you know, and the reason I ask that question specifically with every author is because I get a very different answer. And I jokingly tell everybody the reason I also ask that question is because someday I'm going to steal all those ideas when I hey. write a book. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm going to basically – I'm going to use everything I've learned, you know, the first 20 hours of learning how to market a book. Uh, but, you know, I think I, I really appreciate what you said about that sort of being a five-year out thing because I think that uh, even Carrie Wilkerson from the Barefoot Executive told me she said book, pre- book promotion is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Like, it, totally. you know, you definitely want to work your tail off in those first few days, but it doesn't end there if you want it to be an evergreen book. Totally. And, and one of the things that, that I'm personally most proud about with Personal MBA is, is the book is even more popular now, mm-hmm. two and a half years later, than it was when it launched. Awesome. And I'm, I'm planning to, to, to keep it that way and keep building it. And so, you know, that's, that's the nice part about, uh, about books and publishing in general is if, if you do it right and, and you create something that is valuable to people and will continue to be valuable over time, uh, and you, do, you build the marketing in the systems in, in a way that as the book is successful, that success supports the success in the future, um, you can do a lot of cool, cool things in publishing still. And, you know, whether, whether you work with a traditional publisher or whether you self-publish, there are a lot of really cool opportunities out there. And really, all it takes is spending some time and learning the skills that will help you do these really cool things. Awesome. Well, Josh, um, I'm going to close up with my uh, final question that I've asked pretty much everybody, and I jokingly always tell people I'm unknowingly doing research for a book by asking okay. this question. Perfect. Uh, but you know, we live in a, a very interesting world in which we have access to resources like we've never had before. Yes. And I have witnessed things that blow my mind over the last couple of years where you know people like you have really – I mean people have literally created careers for themselves out of thin air for the most part. Like they've created jobs where jobs didn't exist, and I think we're moving towards an era in which that is going to be more and more necessary. Uh, you know, James Altucher's next book is called Choose Yourself. And right. so what I'm curious about – uh, based on your experience, you know, having been around the web for as long as you have and, and probably having seen people come and go, uh, you know, you see people like the Ramit Sethis of the world, the Danielle Laports, mm-hmm. the Chris Gillibos, and then you see people who – like people who really achieve at the highest levels, and then you see people who don't quite get to that level of success. And what I'm curious about is what you think distinguishes those two groups of people, and, and you know, based on your own personal experience, what do you think has allowed you to achieve the level of success that you have? Yeah, I, I would – cite two primary factors. And, and I think this, this is pretty universal re- regardless of, of the particular person and regardless of, of what their audience is or what they're talking about. Uh, what I've noticed is that the, most, the people who are most successful are the ones who are willing to jump in and get their hands dirty and build skills that will help them succeed in the long term, right? And some of those skills may be writing. Some of those skills may be starting a website uh, and maintaining it. Uh, doing marketing, doing outreach, uh, learning how to write a book, which is way different than, than learning how to, to, to put together a blog, uh, learning how to podcast, learning how to shoot video, uh, learning how to create a course that sells and support it and you know, do the systems around that. 
without exception in my mind, the people who are, are the most successful at this stuff are the ones who spend the time and energy to figure out how it works. And if they don't know how, it, how to do those things that, that are necessary in order to make it, uh, they spend the time and they learn it. And that's the, that's the background of, of all of this, this crazy weird stuff that, that you almost never see publicly. There's a lot of energy and effort that goes into practicing and getting good at things in order to make something cool happen. And so the most successful people are the ones who are spending the most time figuring out how to get the capabilities that will allow them to do things that other people can't do. I think the other thing is there is a certain amount of persistence. There's a certain amount of grit that, that is, is absolutely essential if you want to do something cool and interesting in, in, a, in a new way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for example, uh, mutual friends with, with Chris Gillibo, the amount of, of sheer dogged persistence that that guy has about pretty much everything is amazing. He's been doing this for a very long time. Um, lo- the, the early parts of that process were not public. Mm-hmm. Um, there, the, and, and just by virtue of getting up every day and doing one or two or three things to build this thing that you care about, at a certain point, you know, those, the, the overnight, overnight successes are very, 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 very much the exception. Usually there's, there's, there's about three, four, five, six, sometimes decades of work in the background that nobody knows about mm-hmm. that has allowed the person to build the audience, create the cool thing, build the skills, and do it in a way that, that is enticing and valuable to people. And so, you know, if, if you are... If you are in the process of building something you really believe in, it's perfectly normal if it starts out small mm-hmm. first. I mean, personalmba.com, I, I think at its height before uh, Personal MBA started to work, I think it had maybe 20 readers, maybe. Wow. Um, but, you know, what weird and wonderful things happen when, when you stick with something and you keep building it over the course of a couple of years. And so, you know, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, that the, the old saying, uh, the best time to to plant a tree was ten years ago, uh-huh. or a hundred years ago. The next best time is now. Yeah. Uh, getting started and sitting down and doing the work and building the skills—that's the only way you'll get there. And really, if you're if you are building something you're jazzed about, it almost doesn't even count as work. It's really fun. And and if you treat the whole process as as growing something that's going to be deeply meaningful and help a lot of people and doing that in a way that is expanding your capabilities as a human being. And maybe at some point you even get paid for doing that. Like, holy cow, how cool is that? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll basically finish it up with one comment on that. You know, I think about something that I, a lot, uh, in Scott Belsky's book, Making Ideas Happen, he talks about our traditional reward system and how it conditions us to need immediate rewards for our work. Sure. And that actually makes it difficult to do some of the most interesting, uh, work we could possibly doing in that, you know, you brought up 10 years and, you know, a lot of what Chris has experienced. And I think a lot of what any of us have experienced, a lot of that isn't public. Like we only see what we see. Totally, and it's very difficult to, to to you know realize that hey, there's an insane amount of work that goes into all of this. Yeah, absolutely. And you know the the neat part about you know coming coming out of this really deep research into into accelerated learning and rapid skill acquisition, there is nothing in this world 
that you can't decide to sit down and get better at. Absolutely nothing. You know, a, a lot of the things like, you know, people sometimes have a tendency to say, well, I'm not good with technology. Your brain is not fundamentally incapable of learning technology things, right? It's just a matter of a little bit of research and practice getting better at it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's that's the, the awesome... Uh, optimistic outcome of all of this research. And, you know, it, uh, if, if you're interested in, in learning this, I also recommend it's a book by uh, Carol Dweck called Mindset, yep, totally. which talk, talks a lot about this. There is nothing that your brain is fundamentally incapable of learning. Uh, you can decide that something is important to you and you can decide to break it down and sit down and do the work. And if you do the work, you will become very, very good at that thing. It just requires some practice. And it doesn't, it doesn't really take that much to become really, really good. Awesome. Well, Josh, I think that makes a, a perfect way to sum up our conversation. This has been a very, very eye-opening and insightful look into sort of deconstructing a learning process. And uh, really, I'm glad we finally got a chance to chat. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And we will wrap with that. You've been listening to the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Visit our website at unmistakablecreative.com and get access to over 400 interviews in our archives. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. 
ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.